Welcome back to the Effort Over Everything podcast. I'm your host, Jason Klee, but on today's episode, we have my longtime friend, longtime coach, and amazing, amazing ambassador for health and wellness, Chris Hinshaw, on the show. Today, we discuss uh, the concepts of where is the sport of fitness going? How can we learn how to breathe better when we are performing endurance events? And what is the difference between the assault rower, the concept two rower, and why are we using these self-propelled treadmills instead of the motorized ones? I really enjoyed this conversation. Chris and I could just go on for a long time today. We kept it to an hour or less. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I enjoyed talking to him. Now, before we get into it, quick ask, leave us a rating leave us a review. Helps me find out what you're looking for, helps the show, and I would greatly appreciate if you took a screenshot, hit us up on social media, and left us a rating or review. Now, without any further ado, let's dive into an incredible episode on learning how to breathe with my friend, Chris Hinshaw. Let's go. No, oh. no, uh, no, we're just right into it. So, Chris, um, <laughs> you're wearing uh, one of my favorite shirts, man. Uh, welcome, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for taking the time. I've missed talking to you. Last time you and I were going to do a podcast, you came over to my house and we had scheduled to like do like a two hour podcast or whatever it was. And we ended up just talking for a couple hours and not actually recording anything. So, I wanted to make up for that. So, <laughs> Let's, where do you want to start, man? How's life been? What have you been up to? No, things are good. I, um, we've been traveling, um, getting things going again, doing seminars, which is always nice. It, uh, you know, people always ask me, they're like, why, why on earth do you want to do all of that? Like you're traveling around, like you went to the Philippines and you did a course like in Singapore. And, and the truth is, is that I, I really enjoy visiting other gyms and locations around the world and find out what they're doing and not doing. It kind of gives you a pulse on, you know, the community and, and what's happening positive and negative in these communities, you know, like the U S always had a stronghold in the CrossFit space. Um, and I've seen a lot of stagnation there. And so then where is the opportunity? Where's the growth and seeing it firsthand is it's important you know, to value it. Um, because you know, I'm only one person. And so where do you put your resources? Who's interested and who's not? For sure. So you were out at Wadapalooza and then after Wadapalooza, when did you go to the Philippines in Asia? Um, when did you, did you just get back from out there? No, I went there. Um, there was a competition. Um, Neil Maddox and I actually went out there. Um, we were there two years ago and, um, spent some time in Asia. I mean, I've, you know, I've traveled a lot in the far East, like you have. And, um, I, I, this was the first trip into the Philippines and it's a, it's an interesting market over there. A really like ravenous, like loves just content information. And because CrossFit HQ has slowed down on the amount of content they're creating, there's kind of a, a scrambling effect of, of filling that void. And, um, you know, when you go over there, there's just a huge appreciation because there's just, it's, it's rarely visited. Right. It's like, you're the Beatles going out there, you know? So you're, you're <laughs> out there as kind of like this celebrity. Now I, I was, um, Savon and I were doing like a live stream for Wadapalooz and we were watching a lot of the events and then concurrently, uh, the live stream had a lot of you on it in particular on the run, swim, uh, workout, run, swim. There was something else, right? Uh, row. And yeah. I'm curious, uh, at Wadapalooza, which is a big CrossFit uh, competition or, or fitness competition, this is the first time I've ever seen uh, the assault rower instead of the C2. You think it made any difference or not really? I think it made a difference for the the more power-based athletes. It's it's a harder piece of equipment to use, especially if you know you're trying to go for a certain distance. And so it catered those, those power-based heavier athletes, in my opinion. It catered um, I, towards them because of the, yep. is it because of the lack of the damper on it? Because, so I have both and mm -hmm. I don't know if you, would you summarize it the same way as this is that the C2, I feel like was originally designed years and years ago as a off water tool to help an athlete on the water. 
Whereas the assault rower was built as a fitness rower for those people that want to get in great exercise. And I think they both are, but they're, they're completely different because one of them is fan-based and the other one has that damper component, almost like that turbine in there. So like what would have, what's been your experience with the two of them? So I, 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 I mean, honestly, we, we, we both have a lot of experience on the concept too, because it's just been around longer. Yeah. Um, and because, of, yeah, because of that though, I, I'm, I'm familiar with like their equations that they use in terms of their pacing, their wattage, their cals, and how they, they seamlessly match between their three pieces of equipment, the skier, the biker. And I like that. I like it a lot in terms of, of programming. It, it's be able, being able to write workouts that, that you can interchange between your, your 500 meter pace on the rower, the skier, the thousand meter pace on the bike versus cals and wattage. It's fun. It keeps things interesting. I mean, you know how I write workouts. It, it, I really like to write them where you're engaged. And if I write a workout and I look at it, it's like, ah, uh, like, uh. and, and the truth is, is that I can play around with damper settings. Um, and it gives a lot of variety. It makes it really easy to write, create work, creative workouts. That said though, um, I've spent a, a bunch of time on the, the assault rower. And the simplicity has value. You don't touch anything. You just get and go. And um, for me, when I got on it, I was hoping that I would have the same relationship that I do with the Air Runner, which I love. And honestly, I struggled with the rower. Um, mm. The same thing I struggle with the Echo Bike. Um, there's just something about those that they're harder for me. And you know, I always gravitate at my age now towards things that are easier. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think you're, you're spot on. Like when I use the uh, assault rower, it is probably like a bigger man's or woman or person's uh, apparatus because it is, it's hard to get that, 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 mm -hmm. um, you know, that fan moving. Yep. And um, whereas the assault runner, I mean, it's such an incredible product. I mean, that thing, I, I was running on it yesterday barefoot. I, I just, it, it's just, it's just great. Um, it, it's it really, it's feedback. phenomenal. It's, it's a phenomenal product. Like, you know, what's funny is, is like, you've been around a while and, and there's a lot of products that get introduced to us and a lot of them are just hocus pocus, you know, oh, it's just man, I've seen a few, dude. Yeah. Oh, I saw this one the other day. A anyways, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> but that's where it's really a challenge where you're sitting there and it's like, I, I just, I, I really don't, I, I don't care for it. And I don't buy into, you know, the, the propaganda, but the air runner is, is something where right. The very first step you take, you're like, ah, oh, this thing is not that. And it's like, this is actually pretty good. Yeah. The fact that you could put it in your living room and you could have a conversation with somebody tells you a lot. It's silent. It's really, really quiet. Um, but I also like the fact that it's it that the angle of slope, um, it's a safe way to run. Um, and so if you're doing off-seasonal work, if you're doing foundational work, if you're putting in volume um, and or if you have a history of, of injuries, especially like knee related injury, this is a very safe approach to keep on your feet. Well, let's talk about that for a second. Um, by the way, I, the, the piece of equipment that I saw, and, and I could be totally wrong here. But in, in concept, it was good. I just don't know if anybody's going to wear it. It's like this pad that you place underneath your shirt so you don't get like the collarbone. Like, a, you know, like when you're doing cleans and stuff or jerks. Like Alex Rowland. Remember his? like his... Yes, exactly. He'd start bleeding. So Ugh. instead, it's like a... It's like a basically like a thing that goes around your neck and you wear it and you put your shirt on top and it's supposed to like be like a cushion for the bar. And in theory, I think it's a cool idea. I just don't think anybody's going to be wearing that. But anyways, no. back to the runner. So in the mornings, uh, Ava and I, for the last like months, we go in the garage and we watch uh, like, like typically it's like a Gordon Ramsay show because he has some cool shows like uh, this Uncharted where he goes in the middle of nowhere and goes and explores different areas. Yep, and she'll walk. Dives for yeah. like, like lobster or when, yeah, yeah, it's super entertaining. Yeah. And so she'll walk on the, um, the assault runner and I'll typically ride the C2 bike. Cause both are pretty quiet, but I never thought about it in terms of like, 
having it in your living room and the fact that you don't need a motor that's going, you don't mm -hmm. need power hooked up to it. So it is a very convenient product. But let's get into like the nuts and bolts of it while we're on the subject. Um, I think that the runner, obviously it, it promotes a few things and you can speak more on this, but it promotes like a slight forward lean. It, provo it promotes midfoot strike. Uh, it, it, it promotes appropriate running mechanics. And I feel like it just feels good when you're running on it. But why is all that? And like, should someone be running less on the road than they should be on a runner? Or do they have to do both? Because eventually they're going to have to go run on the road if they want to go do a half marathon or whatever it might be. Right. So I love it for off seasonal training. I love it for foundational work. I like it when you are, are focusing on slower speeds. Um, it's, it's a really safe way to build up your structure. So a lot of people, they, they're, that have lost their fitness, they don't know where to start. They have no idea where to go. And, and unfortunately with the internet, you do a search and, and it, 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 it's confusing. I mean, we're, if, if, if you have lost your fitness because life got in the way, what should the first thing that you do is, and my number one concern like yours is, is that obviously we want to get you started, but we have to do it safe. It serves no purpose if we get you rolling and then you get hurt. And the problem is, is that if you do a any level of research, the first thing that you're going to see is high intensity interval training. Right. I need to go fast. And the reason for, for that or for you're, you're anything, specifically. okay. Yep. Anything you just see that. And it's like, because, and, and part of it is, is that th there is tremendous value in doing high intensity work. Tremendous. Everybody will respond to that. If you're fit, you'll respond. If you're not fit, you're going to respond. Right. The problem is, is if that was your starting point, then you're going to plateau in about 12 to let's say 16 weeks because you don't have a foundation if, if you don't get hurt. And so part of it is, is my feeling. If you're out of shape, enjoy being out of shape. Enjoy going slow. Enjoy not suffering. Yeah. Enjoy walking whenever <laughs> enjoy you Enjoy the experience. Yeah. <laughs> because the suffering eventually is going to come, but be patient with that. And so I look at pieces of uh, like programming and pieces of equipment to help the person that has lost their fitness. Um, and they're now sitting in their late thirties, early forties, and, and they now have some time, you know, and they recognize the value and they want to start, but where would you start? I would start in the safest way possible. And the safest way to start running honestly is by moving uphill because the range of motion, the range that your foot has to go as it swings before it makes contact with the ground, when you're going uphill, it doesn't have to reach as far. And so because of that, like you said, it minimizes the risk of overstriding. It minimizes mm -hmm. the risk of jamming your joints together when your foot makes contact with the ground. And so the air runner, what it has is it has a, a angled slope to it. And depending upon where your foot strikes that slope changes the degree of incline. Meaning if you're a taller person and you reach further up the slope, you could have a 16% grade. If you're a shorter person or are going slower, like Ava's doing, then she's maybe at a 4% slope. But either way, it's like running uphill, which right. is the safest and most effective way to build your foundation. Is I love it for that. So difficult because so building your foundation. So for me, when I'm on the runner, uh, I, I feel it the most in my hamstrings. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm also trying to do it, I guess, better than the way I normally run on the street. But yeah. man, it just feels like it just is so much harder. Is that because you have to drive the um, because the belt, it's not, it's not machine driven. It's, 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 it's human right. belt driven. And right. so you have to kind of like drive off of it and which recruits more hamstrings. Is that what it is? Yeah. So that's, you know, I've done a lot, you know, me, I love, I love math. I love numbers. I look like looking at the data and it's interesting to me when you compare athletes performances on an air runner versus on, you know, open road, um, running. It caters always, the performance improvement always caters to that taller person. Hmm. So you, you look at um, the taller athletes, like take, compare, um, you know, like look at Matt Frazier um, and, and Pat Vellner. Pat Vellner is really good on an air runner, but why? Why is he so good? And it's, it's part of the puzzle was that 
he's taller. Pat Vellner, when he runs, he shuffles a lot. And, and what he does on an air runner is he essentially has one foot on the tread at all times, almost. Now you compare a Frazier who's significantly faster in the movement of running than Vellner. Frazier, what he does is, is he flies. So think about if you were going to shoot a cannonball for maximum distance, would you, you know, angle the trajectory more flat ground or would you angle it more at a 45 degree angle? Well, of course, the 45 degree angle would fly the ball further. Same thing in running. If you want to move, you got to fly. You got to get off the ground. And so good runners, they have a, a angle trajectory where they take flight. That's how Frazier runs. That's how I run. Huh. And what happens, unfortunately, with those runners is that while they're in the air, because it's a non-motorized treadmill and it's on you know a oh, series of bearings, down. it slows down. So essentially, Frazier is speeding up, slowing down, speeding up and slowing down, speeding up and slowing down. And that eventually takes its toll. You know, one of the things that you worked on early, you know, in your running days with me was, is it more efficient to speed up and slow down like 100 meters fast, 100 meters slow, 100 meters fast? Or is it better just to take a nice, even, consistent speed? And you learn right away is consistency is easier. Right. And right. so That's really interesting. I, I hadn't yep. thought about that because you, you are in flight uh, for, for lack of a better term. And that thing just, it, it, it loses all momentum once you are not driving it. Right. That's right. That's right. Huh. And the same thing holds true. If, if you had a fast runner on it before you, because now they have heated up the bearings and it's going to move quicker. You know, <laughs> I made a comment on that podcast. It's, I mean, that, that, that um, live stream live stream on, on yeah. uh, Wadapalooza when I was, you know, talking about uh, the runner and, and I made a comment that Ron Ortiz has the fastest 400 meter runner run time on a uh, true form. So another non-motorized treadmill and he ran 400 meters at Wadapalooza in like 54 seconds. And Ron Ortiz is not a good runner. He's not, I mean, he's a tall guy. But the thing was, is that runner sat in the hot sun in Miami. And you know what? When he jumped on that thing, it was warmed up and ready to go. It was like he had a downhill sprint for his 400 meters. What was so funny about Ron in that event was the judge told him, you're done. Get off the runner and go to the next thing. And Ron's like, there's no yeah. way. There's He refused yeah, to get I off. Like to stay on this thing. <laughs> And so he had the fast one. So that that's funny. I, I hadn't really thought about heating up the, the, the bearings in there before. I am, um, yeah. you know, you came out and you were at our gym in Redwood City, which, um, you so know, fun, which is, yeah, which was fun. But one of the things you were working with us on, and I'm going to butcher it if I try and explain it, but I thought it was a really, really great drill. And how do you articulate, not so much your old man, the putting on the shoes, which I thought was great, but the, the, but why, the why, other, did, why didn't you like the old man test? Oh, by the I way. couldn't do it. Yeah, You're the only one, take, by the way. Dog, dude, I was just your range of motion. Take it off your shoes. Just, take it off your socks. Putting it's them too back much on. of your bulk. You I, still have your bulk. Hey, you know. <laughs> I, by the way, for the last thirty days, thirty-six days as of right now, I've only been eating meat and some fruit. So, uh, all uh, I, I got to share with you some of the blood work and the results I've been getting. Uh, do you off still, of, uh, you still weigh two hundred eight? Uh, I still, I've always weighed two hundred eight. You didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> Tell that story uh, all the time. Dude, I've, I've, <laughs> you know, it's funny. I, I, did, yeah. I did a seminar uh, on Saturday yeah. and I was, I was talking with someone about their running technique. And I go, you know, you got to realize that your, your upper body is really balancing your lower body and you have a wider stance and it's because your arms are crossing over. And I really need you to think of elbows down and back. Just if you drive the elbow down, it will drive the opposite foot down. You drive the elbow back this the, the the stretch reflex in the shoulder will bring the arm forward right. and i go the only person that that doesn't have that that requirement is is jason kalipa and so they're like well why is that and i said well you know and i popped up a picture of you um and it's that that picture of you when you're pulling that like 100 pound dumbbell up over your head and you're just yeah, yeah, like yeah. swollen yeah and i'm like so uh, you know jason when i started with him his foot strike his two feet were about a foot apart. Essentially, he was laterally like walking like a penguin as he was running down the track. Right. And I was telling him, I'm like, dude, elbows down and back, down and back. You can't cross body or your legs are going to go wide. And you're like, bro, I can't do that. I'm like, no, 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 you can, Jay. 
elbow down and back. You could do it. And he's like, no, no, no. Look at this. And I was distracting. You're like, look. And you point and you go, this tricep and look at this lat. I can't clear. I'm like, huh. Good point. Okay. Yeah. You can't do that. <laughs> well, then shit. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's just like, all right. So let's just grease up the, you know, your lats. And so at least you don't get some friction rash, you know? Yeah. Well, I want to ask <laughs> you, so you were at the gym and we were doing uh, this breathing drill with, with, with and you started increasing uh, the cadence. You started adjusting uh, how many breaths per how many steps. And I actually found it to be a really great drill. And so I was wondering if you could just go over that because I think specifically um, for anybody looking to understand pacing better or even like a gym owner who wants to try and take their class through this, how did, how did that work in a, in a nutshell? Because I think we measured out what, 100 meters was it or 200 meters? Yeah, what do you prefer? Loop around. I think, well, it doesn't really even matter. Oh, it doesn't um, matter. Okay. Yeah. No, it really doesn't matter. Um, you know, I did a, I did a, two and a half mile out and back run. So it was two and a half miles out flat and rested a minute. And then I ran two and a half miles back. And what I did is I, I intentionally targeted an eight minute mile pace on the way out, took me 20 minutes. I rested that minute. I reset my watch. And as a game, uh, what I wanted to see is, can I match my return in the exact same amount of time, 20 minutes? So I started my watch and I never looked at it. And, um, I came and I came back to the house and it was 20 minutes and six seconds. I missed the target by six seconds, never looking at the watch, doing it by feel. And, and part, what I wanted to do that day was to show the athletes that you don't need GPS. You don't need heart rate monitors. You don't need anything. If you practice something, you become efficient at that something. And you want to practice a movement and an intensity to create a particular gear. And the more you practice that gear in that movement, the better the muscles remember it. And that's why we train is that the more you practice it, the better the body can replicate it. And I wanted athletes to recognize that. Now, of course, we need to have some tools to be able to manage that intensity. We have to. So if we're not relying on you know, you know, technology, then how can we do it internally? Right. And there's a lot of different methods. And I felt like, I, look, I, I really always appreciate, you know, the opportunity that you've provided me. I mean, I'll always, and I want to always take advantage of that opportunity and deliver to your group, something exceptional. And I, I never, you know, this is something that's important. And, and one of the things that I think about a lot is that People are given opportunity in the beginning and they deliver exceptional quality. And then they take for granted opportunity and they begin to back off. And we see it, you know, with employees, we see it with people that work for us and, you know, they, 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 they don't respect it as much. Yeah. They get a little comfortable and, or maybe a little bit entitled or whatever it might be. Yeah. Right. It's the same thing. Like people asking for more money just because you've been here a long amount of time, you're not doing anything different. You're, you're doing the same thing that I brought you in for yet. They feel that they're entitled to more. I never treat relationships that way. I, I look at it as the first time when you said, Hey man, you know, you're doing some cool stuff. Do you want to use my company name to give you credibility to start up an endurance program at the track? How incredible that you did that for me. And, and why wouldn't I always, anytime an opportunity like that comes along with you, I'm going to stay up and I'm going to think about it. And so on that day, I thought, you know what? I want to do something unique. I want to do something that I haven't done with this group before. And breathing is one of those tools that you can use to monitor your intensity. Mm. It's something also that you can use to monitor your rhythm, pacing. You know, yep. pacing is all about rhythm. Well, if you establish a rhythm to your breathing protocol, then you can typically hold on to the same exact speed. It's just that people don't know how to use their breath. And yeah, I thought that that was a cool thing because that was a cool drill. And and not to because I want to talk about the actual drill. But one thing I wanted to highlight is uh, you talk about like technology. So in training for many, many years, many years. I used like a Garmin watch that, that tracked, uh, yep, we both uh, do. Yeah. 
all your speeds, all that stuff. And then you've even started to incorporate some like Metrodome type training. But yeah. I think what's really interesting is the stopwatch on a track is very telling because you could hit your 400, you look at your watch, you know what pace you're on. Uh, versus on the street, it's a little bit different, but when you're actually on a track, it's really easy to use a stopwatch and outside, obviously, if you have a GPS component. But what was unique about that is that when you actually get in a competition, e even when I tried at times to wear a watch, it just wasn't relevant anymore. Meaning like you had to focus on the game day, you had to focus on, uh, you know, because you already knew what that felt like. I remember in particular, the burden run was a really good example because I wore the watch. I remember I looked at it only once. And then after that, I was like, dude, I already know what it feels like because I've been mm -hmm. training this, this speed. And so I'm curious, like for someone who, whether you're competing in the sport of fitness, or you're going out for your marathon and you want to wear a watch maybe for it, that's fine. But I thought the drill that you did was great because someone can then start to reinforce these mechanics over and over and over again. And soon when they're in the middle of a workout and maybe they can't wear a watch or they don't want to, they could always know, Hey, I'm running an eight minute mile. I'm running a seven minute mile. So, so what was that breathing, um, Mm -hmm. for lack of a better term, workout, because I mean, obviously I did it, but I, I want to hear the, the, cause I had never seen it before. Yeah. So what we did is we did, I want to say it was a 200 meter loop. Um, I want to say, let's just say it was a 200 meter loop. And, and what we did in that workout was I, I it was a hundred meter loop. Actually, I think it was, you're right. It was yeah, a short, shorter. It was hundred meter yeah, yeah. loop with like yeah. 10 seconds of rest. 10 seconds. Yep. Yep. Right. And I think we did like 12 different, you know, 12 times 100 meters with 10 seconds of rest. Yep. What I wanted to do in that workout, the whole, the whole premise behind it was I wanted to take the movement of running where most people don't enjoy it. And what I wanted to do was gamify it. Mm -hmm. I wanted to, to, to show people that if I can get you focused on something other than what you're doing and, and create a game out of it where you're competing against yourself for what we, we call back, you know, in that workout points. And I'll explain that in a second. Um, what you would want to do at the end of the workout is one more rep because you believed in your heart that you can be perfect. Right. And I established what was perfect. Part of what I like doing in workouts is creating an expectation of what is perfect. And so an athlete then could take the ownership of the workout and be independent. And they know that if they accomplish a particular goal, they were perfect. And so right. I don't need to stand at the door and go, good job, good job, good job. They already know it. And so part was, is I had to do something where it was gamified, but I also had to do something that distracted them, that, that got them away from overthinking the movement because most of the people that were there had no running experience. They weren't confident. They hated it. Right. And so what I did is I came up with this, this workout and it, so it was 12 rounds, hundred meters at a targeted intensity that they established during their warmup. So essentially what happened was, is that they would do a warmup lap and they did that hundred meter effort and they recorded their total time. It took for them to do that hundred meters. Um, is that what I did on that one? Oh, no, no. I gave everybody, you, I said, it's 30 clock. seconds. Yep, yep, it was yep, 30, yep, seconds. 30 seconds. Yep. So it was an eight minute mile pace. And I told people, I go, you know what? You're going to all experience an eight minute mile pace. So you have 30 seconds to do this entire loop. And what we did is everybody it within that loop, they established their start and end point by taking a spot in that loop and creating a one foot diameter circle with their initials on it. So yep. when that workout started, they took off from their starting spot. And when I yelled, stop, they had to stop their forward progress and they needed to be within one jump, a broad jump from their circle. And if they were able to get into their circle, both feet, then they got a point. So there was a total of 12 points up for grabs. And we gave everybody 10 seconds of rest. Now, before the workout started, what I wanted people to realize was, is that you eventually, after doing about the first two rounds, your aerobic system will be warm, meaning your breathing will be at its optimal um, frequency, your breathing rate. And what I trained people to do before that in the warm up was to understand their own breathing rhythm. Mm -hmm. 
Yep. And that was something that they they that that I felt was one of the most important things that I could teach them. And that was the rhythm of the breath. What is the frequency, meaning how many steps do you at that particular intensity do you take per cycle of breath? And so what I wanted them to understand was a, a, a breath, an exhale always starts on a foot strike. So when your left foot or your right foot makes contact with the ground, you begin your exhale. And what I didn't want them to do was overthink it. Like how many, how many steps exhale out? How many steps inhale? Is it out through the nose, in through the mouth? Again, the internet, is, it's unfortunate that everybody wants to add their own flavor onto something, but we're forgetting the basics. Right. And the basics, number one is, do you have a reliable and predictable breathing pattern? So think about swimmers. They have by far the best rhythm because of the water. You think about it. So I breathe on the right side every stroke. And so when I breathe, it's breath, one, two, three, breath, one, two, three, breath. But if it's bilateral, then you're on a six count breathing pattern. If you skip a breath, now you can go on to an eight count breathing cadence. So if you think about the movement of running, you can breathe whenever you want. And that's the mistake. That's the mistake because the brain needs to know when the next dose of energy is coming in. If you randomly breathe, you know, you how does the brain not know that you're going to go into a one minute breath hold? And right. so if that's the case, the brain will always set aside muscle fibers because it has to protect you. What you want to give the brain is the knowledge of when that next dose is coming. And if you do, it can free up maximal motor units to make whatever you're doing easier. So once you establish your rhythm, what you want to do is you want to maintain that. And that's what they focused on. They focused on a nice, sustainable breathing rhythm that was consistent. Instead of focusing on running technique, instead of focusing on their buddies, they focused on the rhythm of their breath. And what and we saw in that workout was I, I, the happiness that we saw in people's face, like the non-runners yeah. were the best performers. Well, the gamification, I think, really made it a lot of fun. But just to kind of like circle back on this, because I, I really think this is a great drill for anybody listening. It's you, you get 100, uh, in this particular case, uh, based on what I'm understanding is that Henshaw is trying to work on uh, pacing and, and breathing cadence, right? In, in this particular drill. Yep. And so if you draw out a hundred meter track or, or you come out with a, you know, out and back or whatever it might be for us, we went around some cars in like a loop. We then took some uh, sidewalk chalk and made a circle and that became our goal, right? You want to get back there by the time he said, stop. And if, or within a jump and, Prior to that, we worked on the breathing cadence separately. So this was a separate thing. So we, we first worked the breathing cadence. Then we came in and did the actual like gamified fun event. And when Chris was taking us through the, the breathing rhythm, what I found interesting was, yes, you're talking about exhaling on the, on the strike, but you also had us work different pacing. So for example, if you're breathing every foot versus every 10 feet, every 10 stomps, if you wait too long, your heart rate spikes up because you held your breath too long. If you go mm -hmm. too fast, you start to feel a little bit lightheaded because you're breathing so much and finding somewhere in the middle, which I think was, you said six, right? Wasn't it? Um, what is the typical uh, breathing rhythm for most people? So there's two breathing, there's, there's two camps. Um, there's, there's one camp that says, uh, and I'm in this camp, uh, Frazier's in this camp, Froning's in this camp where uh, we breathe every four steps and our feeling is, is that the, the brain and, and we prefer to have that consistent breathing rhythm on a four count. When it's easy, we partially fill our lungs. When it gets more demanding, we fill more and more of the lungs until that four count no longer provides enough air. And we will grab, we will move into a three count cadence, meaning three steps for every cycle mm -hmm. of breath. Now that's important because when we transition from a four count cadence to a three, that's a sign that we are now going into a non-sustainable pace, essentially above our lactate threshold. And so that awareness of, of when we are on a four count, we know as soon as something changes, that that change was we just went into a three count and we have to be careful because that's the edge of the envelope. And that's what we play around with. 
Now, the other camp is we want to we want to fill our lungs every single time. So when it's an easier intensity, they fill their entire lungs. So they may be on an eight count, but as I increase their intensity, they'll go to a seven, to a six, to a five, to a four. And just like me, they'll cross over into a three, which means they're going into a non-sustainable pace above their lactate threshold. So it's really a personal preference. And what I tell people, if they're trying to find out what their preferred cadence is right now, all you have to do is just get some foam earplugs so you can block out all sound and all you'll hear is your breath and go for a run. And your start your count when you begin your exhale, which will occur when either your left foot or your right foot hits the ground. But there's, again, two strategies. I was, I was at 29 Palms uh, Marine Base uh, over the summer and there was a force fitness instructor that I, I ran with and he was on an 18 count. 18. So that means exhale, inhale, go for 18 steps, and then exhale, inhale, right? Yeah. So what he was doing is he was taking nine steps on his exhale. So it was. Oh, okay. 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 Yeah, 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 yeah. And then he was doing nine in and it was so difficult for me because when normally what I do is like you saw me, I'll sync up my breathing with their breathing. I'll sync up my stride right. with theirs. And then I count. So this guy, though, I'm like, I can't hear you. It's because <laughs> he's, he's, taking a, he's taking a minute to exhale and a minute to inhale. <laughs> I know. It's like, man, the guy's taking like three breaths a minute. Wow. Yeah, it was really impressive. But I do the same drill um, with the, the military. I mean, one of the things that the military, you know, that, that they do is they, they have this expectation of, of, of pacing but they don't teach them this skill. They just expect them to magically hit these targets. And um, so one of the things I do is I go out there and teach them this. And um, yeah, recently I got a nice note from a commanding officer down at Camp Pendleton who I helped out and um, he hadn't been training at all. Um, and you know, every year they have to do a physical fitness test, which is a three mile run. And this uh, CO, he wrote me a note afterwards and he explained that he applied this breathing to his three mile run. And he ran a minute faster than what he did previously. Um, wow. So yeah, his mile time. So to give people perspective, I mean, he's a decent runner. He went 2158 um, previously, and then he went 21, I mean, 2053 in his recent test. That's for a three mile run. Um, so yeah, just only focusing on the breathing. And so a lot of people, they'll come and they'll, they'll, they'll come back from doing five K's or something. Go, I don't know what happened to me, but it was the most amazing race that I had ever. Right. Because it's probably on that particular area. That, right. That maybe that, that if they didn't know about breathing, that's what happened. They established a reliable, predictable pattern. And because of that, the brain freed up maximal muscle fiber which made it easier. Love it. Well, yeah. dude, I mean, I think that's a great takeaway. I mean, that, that was a game changer for me. I know it's been a game changer. Uh, our members loved it. I, I want to ask you, you know, a lot has changed in CrossFit since you've been around it. Yeah. I mean, shoot, you and I have been around for a long time. And as of recently, obviously, you know, Eric is no longer CEO and, and uh, you've been traveling around. What is the overall consensus when you're at seminars and stuff? Where is, how, how are people feeling nowadays about functional training about the sport of fitness about the games. I mean, do you think that the games, the open starts like in, in very, very soon, um, when this is actually released, the open will probably be a couple weeks already in, right? It's only a three week process. Do you think we'll have more people doing the open? Do you think we'll have less? Uh, is there excitement still around the sport of fitness? What, what has been your overall sentiment? That's a great question. I mean, <laughs> You know, change is, is, is never good for anything, hard, and, yeah. right? And, and, and it gives me a lot of anxiety and, and with Dave leaving, you know, I'm just, I, I, there's some concern over like the reactions that people were having in the community and, and it, the community tends to have the loudest voices out there in front speaking. And, and I just, part of me, I, I wondered if a lot of those loud voices would get traction. What I have been hearing and what I am finding, and again, like you, I am in contact with a lot of affiliates around the world. The changes have been really good in the sense that the structure of who the affiliate is, 
meaning they're the customer is the now act right, right is actually in the correct position in the past the affiliate was below glassman glassman was clearly in charge and if you did not conform you could lose your affiliate and that always was a strange situation because here i was in silicon valley for 25 years in high level sales and customers are very hard to come by and when you get a customer you preserve that customer you protect it and if the customer is having difficulty you figure out how to work through it because the cost of bringing on a new customer right. is incredibly right right so to me it never made sense that the customer wasn't in charge i've never encountered a situation where the customer was not in charge of the relationship now they're in charge and so what eric has been doing is he's been building an infrastructure to support the customer to take mm -hmm. care of the customer to listen to the customer and that i think is a positive change now finally the customer we are working for them how can we help you and that's how the sport's going to grow because we need them to go out there and to carve their own space and you know what if they don't come knocking on the door then we're going to assume you're good just like any anybody would do in a customer relationship but if a customer needs some help they're going to call and are you available and now what they're doing is they're creating a, an infrastructure to support them and i find value in that it is it's never been crossfit hq's responsibility to develop your market it hasn't been at all now the customer knows that it is your job to develop your own marketplace but you know what if we can help you we have a team of people that are willing to give you that level of support and that is a shift that's a massive shift that the all of that power those egos all of that is now gone because now they're all in a customer service mode that's what yeah. they are yeah i can see that at that point of view i mean some people might argue that that i i don't know what's going to happen i i don't know i think i don't know that's a guess school, that well no I, I appreciate that perspective though that one where you say hey they went from a uh you know basically um for lack of a better term taking the customer for granted to yep to having a customer's always right perspective. How do we service them better outlook? I, I think that's to summarize what you're saying. I yes, think absolutely. I, I, agree, I agree with you because any good business would probably look at that and be like, dude, we have this revenue stream and we're losing people or whatever. We're not look attaining. What you did. Look what you yeah. did during COVID. Yeah. Look How what you did to just keep. Right. But look at that. I mean, you're giving them free because you don't want them to leave. Right. Right. hundred percent. And so, uh, but, but from a games perspective, like how do you think things are going to shake out this year for like the open, the yeah. uh, quarterfinals, semifinals? I, I will say this. I was doing a podcast the other day with Savon and I was kind of like, I don't want to say I was complaining. I was sharing that one of my frustrations has been all the changes in the games. But yeah. then when they yeah. actually pulled it up on the screen, it was pretty straightforward. It's like you have a three week open, you have quarterfinals, yeah. semifinals, and then games. And I think the reason why I was a little bit, for lack of a better term, jaded around it was that people have been in this a long time, have seen a lot of evolutions, changes, flows. It just has not found like its place of solid. But maybe this is what it's going to be like moving forward. Because if you are introduced to the season now and you look at it on the website, I think it's relatively straightforward. But yeah. if you've been in it for the last 10 years, you're probably like, dude, what change is coming now? I mean, what is your opinion on, on, the, on the overall flow, the, the season? I, I, so I, I agree with you. They've changed and changed and then changed again. Um, <laughs> and, and, but part of it, part of it is, is, is I must assume that each of the changes they're trying to optimize because they're learning something different. And I'm hopeful that this latest change is really like the final fine tuning of successful games um pro uh, planning i that's what i i'm hoping i mean the fact that the open is three weeks why is it three weeks compared to what it used to be i mean right. let's face it with the structure i think that three weeks for a a recreational crossfitter at the local affiliate is a reasonable amount of time to compete three for weeks sure. in a row five sure. it's impossible Too and long. yeah right and we historically have seen a massive drop-off 
Right. And so part of it is, is that I like that the open is now three weeks because I always felt like at five weeks and especially the structure of them, they, they really got difficult as you dipped into week four and week five. Right. And I never like when, when we are intentionally putting athletes into a decision mode where they're forced to quit because then that's training that athlete to quit and that's not acceptable. And so I believe that if they can create three good tests where an affiliate member can do it, all three of them and feel that sense of pride of like, okay, you know what? I, I, I did it. And I put myself against the clock. I put myself against others. That's a big, big test for most people. The question is, is that, is it going to be a good test as a separator to find the fittest on earth? And, and that would be tough in three workouts. Well, the good news is you, you then transfer into the quarterfinals, which is again online. Yep. And it could maybe have some more complexity to it. Mm -hmm. And then you go to semifinals. You know, one of the things I was talking about the other day, with the semifinals are over like multiple weeks. And the reason yep. why I'm bringing this up, I don't talk about the sport of CrossFit much, that much anymore. It's just, it doesn't come up as often because in our gyms, at least for me, I think to run a successful open, the owner or the head coach needs to be kind of about it. it needs to be fired up about it. Right. And for me, like there was many, many, many years that I was fired up about it. Now for me, you know, our rallying cry is just helping people live freely and fully outside the gym. And yep. we're going to host, we're going to do the open, we're going to do the open workouts, but we're not really kind of like all into the sport of CrossFit. However, when I was reviewing it and I was looking at the semifinals, it's over, if I'm not mistaken, like a one month span. And yep. so do you think there's an advantage or disadvantage going early versus late? Um, what are your thoughts there? Because I mean, that, that was legacy regionals. Remember some regionals used to go earlier than others. Do you think they yep. should do it all on one weekend or do you think they should spread it out the way they have? Man, if it's the same workouts, it's a huge advantage to go last. So I guess they're going to have a few of the same workouts and they switch up some of the workouts throughout. Right. Which would be, that's the smart thing. If, if, if people have a chance to, to watch others, to understand time domains, to understand strategy, um, because the workouts ideally in, at, at that level, um, they, they haven't been done before. They're, they're, I mean, I really feel like they shouldn't be doing, you know, workouts that have historically been done in the past. I think we should be creative and, and have a bunch of different options. Uh, that to me is the number one concern I have is, is the creativity in the workout writing themselves. And is it a good test from week to week? Um, and yep. that's where I feel like the sport has stalled some at the highest level is, is, is the programming truly a good test or is it, or is it, or, okay. So you, you have your, that side. And then I might make the arg argument opposite that we're always trying to recreate the test we're always trying to recreate the wheel with all these workouts. Should we just come up with a, a, a group of them and go off that way? Because well, I, yep. yeah, one of the challenges I had, Chris, and I, I don't know if you saw this, but it's inevitable at every single event, right? That a, if you want to give some, um, some independencies operators, they're going to go create their own events. Now, when you're coming up with events, a lot of times people want to create things that are, you know, a little different, a little unique because they want to put their own flair on it. But mm -hmm. with that comes some challenges. The athletes maybe aren't as familiar with that movement. The judges maybe haven't gone over that movement multiple times. And you see issues come up like at Wadapalooza where maybe people aren't swimming around the right buoy or, or whatever. Could that have been alleviated had it been the same event year over year over year so that the judges are aware or the, of, of what potential issues might come up and they can nip them in the butt. So I'm curious what, you, what your position is on this because you have Dave who just always wanted to reinvent the wheel every single year. And it was exciting. But then as a spectator, it's like, do they ever feel like they're ever really bought in if the, if the workouts are always different? And then as a, as a league, you're always trying to reinvent things. And it creates a lot of issues, but it also creates excitement. So where do you sit on that fence? I, I think you know where I'm getting at. Yeah, but I think that the workouts have to be relatable. So part is, is that if I can't do the workout that a, a – you know, that you used to do a Frazier, you know, it, it's not relatable to me. That's why I think one of the best open workouts that's ever been written is the seven minutes of burpees. burpees? Yeah. It, yeah. it was, it, it, yeah. it really was. And, and the reason why is that you can have a, a, 
a athlete that just walked in the door and they want to do the open and it's their first week of CrossFit and they can look at a seven minute of burpee workout and, and come up with a game plan. Yep. They can, they can come up and say, I'm going to do this many in my first minute. And this is what I'm going to try and do total. And this is, they can come up with a sound plan and it is an incredible test. I mean, the fact of seven minutes between seven and nine minutes to me is a sweet spot in terms of an aerobic capacity test. That is an incredible time domain. I think that seven to nine minutes is a key spot that needs to be looked at for workouts. Same thing between two and three minutes. I'm actually surprised there's not more workouts between two and three minutes because the thing about two and three minutes is like speed strength power athletes like yourself, yeah. they're, they, they, they're really good at two minutes and shorter. I'm good at three minutes and longer, but where it's a fair fight is between two and three minutes. Yeah. Like the 800 meter run is always the worst one, right? Like why did the run, why was the run that distance at the games? Like, can't we just make it in between the two and three minutes and really not? Cause it was so obvious in that event who was going to win. And that's where I get frustrated. It's like, all right, here we go. One, two, three, four, five. So, and so that's what is the, the problem though. So, so I guess like, but Chris, like all these events that go on and on and on and, and as the sport continues to grow, are we just going to continue to try and create new events every single year? Or is there something to be said about, Hey, this is Chris Hinshaw. He holds the record for whatever, or, or for, in my case, I hold the record for Jackie and Jackie's just going to become a staple that might be brought up every now and then, or, or is it, is it benefit to having 30 events and then picking between those for different, uh, that's not a bad idea. Like picking and having the, where there's, you know, like 50 events. Right. And now you're going to pull from those events and you have no idea what they are. And so as an athlete, you now have to prepare for the unknown and unknowable, but that list is really 50 different potential items that are well-rounded tests. So right. in that hopper would be, you know, seven minutes of burpees. Right. That would be one of the tests. I think that that would be the way, because it still has to be unknown and unknowable. That is the biggest challenge. You know, one of the things that people ask me all the time that are not affiliated with CrossFit is this whole thing about unknown and unknowable. Like you guys are just like gym athletes. That's what you are. And I'm all, you know, let's slow that and back down a little bit. Part of what is, is, is really unique is that unknowable. See, every single sport, what they do have is they have a known event. Let's just say that the known event is 2,000 meters rowing. Right. Well, it's the movement of rowing and the distance is 2,000 meters. It's a known. So what we can do is we could do event-based programming to give you targets for that distance and that movement. Now. What we want to do is go one step better than that. And that is what I do. And that is looking at the strengths and weaknesses of the athlete, creating not an event-centered model, but an athlete-centered model. So what we do is take the strengths and weaknesses of the individual. And now what we do is we look at the event. Imagine how incredible a CrossFit athlete is where you look at strengths and weaknesses and you look at now the thousands of movements and time domains that we have to target. That makes it incredible. There is no sport in the world that has this level of complexity. Yeah. And yet we're proving a level of fitness that's never been seen before because of yeah. that model. But then, okay. So pulling that thread, you know, is that the future of the sport though, to remain unknown and unknowable? Because at some point, like, let's just say you, you, you have this sport and you want to really grow. You want yep. it to become more mainstream at some point, you know, when you're a spectator turning on the TV and you're watching CBS or whatever it is, you know, having a baseline of understanding, like I, I, I generally understand the rules of most sports when you turn on, it might take a little while, but then as you go see it again and again, you kind of get a baseline of the rules with CrossFit and all these events, you know, is it a benefit to always have it new or could it actually benefit the sport long-term? If, for example, you had three buckets, you had, you know, sub five minute workouts, seven to 20 minute workouts. You had these workouts and then the, the, the people would pick from different ones. Yep. And so that I, I, the reason well, why I, I really is, like, I just want to watch the sport. I want to like watch the thinking. sport grow more mainstream. I do. Yeah. And I worry that always trying to reinvent the test 
might hold us back from where it could be in the future and where its place is really as like, um, you know, looking at like record holders and creating this like thing like, hey, you know, Chris is up 10 years ago in 19, you know, in 2010, the world record was set by Rich Froney. Let's see if this guy could beat it. You know, we don't yeah. have that because, it, right. you know what I mean? I, yeah, that's where I, I wish I, like that, like these name workouts. I mean, that could have easily, you know. I was I was in Kauai um, at Glassman's house a couple of years ago, and he made a comment, um, and he was really upset at the at, at the time about the programming at the games. And this is when you know he shortly took over, and um, he he was in, specifically talking about the obstacle course, and he was like they turned that into a circus and he was just mm. shaking his head, just frustrated. He's like, why the vest? It's hard enough as it is. You throw the vest on and now it's like, why don't we, you know, and he didn't say it, but it's like, why don't we just wear armored suits too? I mean, make it so that it's, it's like obscenely. And that bothered him, which that makes sense to me. Why does it have to be so complicated? It doesn't have to be a complicated test but it needs to be relatable. Like you said, there's something special about having a world record in something. Yeah, It's relatable. But if I'm looking at an event that I could never even wrap my head around, then it's not relatable. And that's what bothered Glassman back then. Yeah, and so, I... yeah, that simplicity is important, but I also like yeah, I mean, I think that that's where they've got some some tough answers, and I I I don't know who is on their advisory committee as far as as programming. Let's face it, it it used to be Dave, yeah, right, and 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 I'm not saying that other people should program, but you know what? Maybe pooling some ideas of like, hey, this is what I would do. Yeah, these yeah, are some I ideas like time domains and tests and. And, and part is, is we should force the tactical side as well, like strategy, mm. especially with teams. Well, the strategy Our, with teams is so exciting. I think you and I were talking about this. It's so about, good. You know, like, why didn't anyone, I think it was, you and I were talking about this. Yes, we did. We talked about this from the games, how no one drafted or, or in the water. Yeah. Or, w weren't we talking about yeah, that? Like, right. it, I, I definitely think there's something to that, right? Where Of course. Um, yeah, incorporating some form of that, I think would make it more, see more uh, team. I, I guess well, like take for a guy who's not like watching the sport every single day. I want to watch the sport and I want to watch it thrive. And I'm wondering what constructive conversation could be had to get it moving further to a larger demographic, right? Because you already have the people that are super bought in. What type of things are we doing to gain more? Or maybe it becomes too vanilla and this core audience loves the fact that there's always something new that comes out for them. Maybe well, let's face it. The games was, the games really brought in new members to the gym. It was a huge marketing opportunity for CrossFit. And I think you bring up a really good point is that these workouts could be written in a way where they're relatable to other target markets out there, right? Spartan, high rocks, triathlons. Yeah. runners. I mean, just why, why are they having, you know, in these running events that they, they're having them hold ropes together, they have timing chips. Why on earth aren't we treating a team of four people as individuals like we would in a cross country event and score them individually as they cross the line, then add up their individual scores to create the team score. And that's what goes into the total, make it so it's relatable. But the fact that you're holding a three foot rope, I'm watching that on TV. And if I was a runner, I'd be going, I don't get it. I don't get it. Yeah. I I, I, know. I think this conversation itself needs to happen more probably at the HQ level and see where they want to go with the sport. And but maybe now yeah, that conversation is approachable. More. Maybe. Yeah, I think, I, I, maybe, maybe. Right. And yeah, um, I mean, maybe I, I don't know. I haven't been called. <laughs> it, well, and, and you know, and when you talk about it from an affiliate perspective, I, I think the games, look, the games catapulted the brand of CrossFit. Yes. And I, for sure, for one, was a major part. No, sorry. I, I felt that uh, as I grew with the sport, meaning like I felt the brand of CrossFit, the games helped me help our business because we were so ingrained in it.
But I, I wonder what the future of that is, right? Is it is it still creating a lot of misconceptions about what CrossFit is? And those are always conversations we'll be having. But I think that hopefully they mm-hmm. get some programmers in the room and start discussing, hey, what does the future of this open and online process look like? And then how does that evolve throughout the games? And, you know, I mean, I think, you know, taking a, um, you know, I think Rogue is doing something right. They, they're, wow. they're making the yeah. events exciting for the athletes. Yeah. They're making them fun for that the athletes, getting athletes paid, which I think is so important. You know, yep. I I, yep. I want to see that. Well, so I got to switch gears on this one topic. So you talk about how the unknown and unknowable and how the CrossFit athletes becoming such a, it, it already is such a phenomenal athlete. I mean, yeah. think about the guy or girl that has to train hours and hours in the water and then on a bike and then weightlifting and then this and then that. So what happens long-term? to athletes who can't commit full-time to the sport. How do you, how, what happens to sport long-term if you have, let's just say 10 people, let's just say for the sake of argument, you have Vellner and Tia and whoever, who have established themselves enough to get sponsorship dollars or then maybe they have additional revenue streams, which I'm super, super stoked on them for. But how does someone jump into the ring with a Noah Olsen when they need to also provide for themselves how does that work if the training you know the typical crossfit games athlete now probably trains what four to six hours a day you think eventually are we just going to have two camps where like maybe every now and then a new guy might jump in but for the most part this other group's just going to thrive for a while then maybe a new group comes in because it's the barrier to entry so high because the the time required is so high well that's a really you know, so one of the things that I've noticed about traveling uh, to other parts of the, the world is that you see communities that are further behind what's happening here in the United States. And that is because the core of, of coaching and knowledge is based in the United States. Uh, These fair, elite fair. level athletes, the, the advantage that they have is the team supporting them. Like you think back when you and I were working together. You know, people called you Mr. Endurance after 2013. And it was, (laughs) but it was because you did something that nobody else did. But in time, your advantage, because people started learning different things, your advantage started to disappear. So the teams now that are around these, these great athletes, the support structure, which most of these elite athletes are getting it for free. How would a, a up and comer even have a chance to compete? I mean, like we talked about breathing. The, the fact is, is that I have taught breathing to the athletes, the elite athletes that I have worked with since 2014, 15. If you didn't know that, I mean, I, I just taught a, 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 a CrossFit Games champion teenager on Friday night, this concept of breathing. Just learned. Right. Now, the only way that she's going to pick that up is either from me or somebody like me. And there's not a lot of those out there that are teaching this within this space. That is a huge competitive advantage for her. I see that you're right. These elites are going to hold on to their dominant space because they're getting information that nobody else is getting. That's why when I teach my seminars, you know, the aerobic capacity course, it shocks me that people want to be competitive you know, they spend this time, this energy, and yet they don't understand what the their competitors know. You know, remember what you told me early on. There was a reason why you said after 2013, when our job wasn't done, you said, you know, I have a favor. And that is, I never want you to coach that rich froning. <laughs> and that was because we didn't, you didn't want him to know what you learned, which is true. You know, Camille said the same thing. She says, I never want you to coach Sam Briggs. Mm. You know, I didn't, I I haven't looked at it through that lens. Actually, it's really interesting. It's an unfair advantage. I looked at it through the lens of time. You're looking at the lens of, yes, of course, time, but also uh, coaching or, or access. Access is a good term, right? To get access, you either need to have money or notoriety to be able to capture these coaches or someone who's, you know, really takes a liking and sees potential in you. I mean, that's really, um, it's, it's, it's really draws me to like where the sport's going to go, uh, in the future. I but do every think, sport, yeah. every sport has that though, Jason, right, every, right, right, every right. single one. And, and the truth is, is that you have advantages when you're young, 
let's face it, you know, you look at a Haley Adams who didn't have anything, you know, and she showed potential, but she delivered all of that potential all by herself. Hmm. And so part of it is, is that good coaches can like take Roman Krennikov. I started working with Roman Krennikov long before he won the European regionals. He was nothing. Right. right. But part of got a visa, didn't he? Yes. I, so I wrote a letter to the state department, you know, and, and, and on his behalf, I mean, I've known him for a long time and he's a good kid. I'm beyond happy. I'm beyond happy for him that, that this has happened. Um, you know, that's that first time in the United States then it is. Yeah. So like when he qualified after winning European regionals, what did he win? $5,000. And he thought he was a shoe in to come over and, you know, he was yeah, the, I remember the that. big deal. And, and he spent all of his money on airfare, non-refundable and $5,000 to him. I mean, he lived in Siberia for a long time. I mean, no money. Oh. And um, yeah, to lose all your money in non-refundable tickets. I mean, so it's nice that this guy is finally having a crack at it, but here he is over in, you know, the middle of Russia. And if he's able, like, there's a guy that showcased potential. And what I did is I saw the potential and I noticed like how responsive he was, how coachable he was. I then introduced him to the people at brute strength and, you know, he's still banging it out, you know, now, dude, but you have to show potential, right? You have to show potential. I mean, so Chris, we're like over an yeah. hour. I want to be yeah. respectful of your yeah. time. You know, it's so funny, yeah. man. You and I could rap for days and hours and hours. People are probably gonna be like, you know, that because we could always rap, man. We have a long history together and you're out yeah. there on the road and um, yeah. I got to get back out on the road a little bit more. Um, yeah, I, wish, I wish you were at Wadapalooza. I missed our, our workout together. Oh I, man, I, our work. I, I, yeah. I decided not to do it because you weren't there. Our, um, I will be going, band. um, I will be back on the road. I've, I've made the commitment. I actually, um, yes, I, I, I actually want to get involved and see if you want to come to an ADCC, get you to one of those, these jujitsu tournaments eventually. But I wanted, um, I, I had my ticket to Vegas and then you end up winning your age group without even showing up. Oh my gosh, dude. I know. I, that's I, the best kind of a competition you get. first. Oh, place that was and... the worst. I was so ready. I was ready to throw down. Uh, uh but, uh, Hey man, so you, you have your aerobic capacity seminars, which are obviously amazing. You have your online, uh, work that you do. Um, we need to get you back on the show, like probably in like a month or six weeks. I want to, I want to continue to have great conversations about where things are going. And, and so for anybody who wants to engage your content, see what Chris Hinshaw is doing, where is the best place to go? I just recommend go to aerobiccapacity.com. Go there. Um, you can go to the aerobic capacities, Instagram page as well. There's content workouts, but, um, yeah, go to aerobiccapacity.com. Check it out. Yeah. One of the things, Jay, by the way, I, I have, um, you know, we talked last time we were together about a thousand meter row program. Yeah. And I've drafted that thing up and I'm, I'm, I would love to be able to pass that by you and maybe give it to your just exclusively the Jason Kalipa row program. Dude. Let's uh, let's do it. For those of you who are not watching this on uh, on YouTube or, or the video, I put up the website for aerobic capacity, and I was gonna have a, and I, I'm putting up a nice uh, banner that's that's going across the screen that's saying uh, thousand meter row. Um, so yes, uh, Hinch, let's talk about the thousand meter row program. Uh, let's catch back up on the podcast for everybody listening. Really appreciate you guys tuning in. Make sure you guys check out the aerobic capacity website and everything that Hinshaw is doing. He's on the tip of the spear in regards to the work that he's been providing for many, many years in the functional training space um, and in the overall fitness space. And um, as per usual, if you enjoyed this episode, leave us a rating, leave us a review. It helps out. Let us know what you're interested in talking about and helps boost up the podcast. Chris, appreciate you as always, Thank brother. You, and I will Thank talk you. to you soon.